A Dream of Heaven. John was one of Jesus' helpers. He was old now and living on an island, which might sound nice, except it was a prison. The leaders put him there to stop him from talking about Jesus. But I'm sure you don't think a little thing like being in a cell in a prison on an island in the middle of an ocean could stop God's plan, do you? One morning, Jesus appeared, right there in John's cell. Jesus' eyes were bright and shining like the sun. I'm going to show you a secret, John, Jesus said, about when I come back. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Write down what you see so God's children can read it and wait with happy excitement. Then Jesus gave John a beautiful dream. Except John was wide awake and what he saw was real and one day it would all come true. I see a throne and on the throne is a king. And the king is Jesus. All around the throne, people are bowing down. They're giving him their treasures. There are loud cheers and clapping, clapping and bright laughter like a, a, a thousand waterfalls. And everyone bursts out singing a new song. This is our king, the lamb who died, so we don't have to. Our rescuer. All honour and glory forever and ever. And every creature everywhere, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth and in the sea, joins in. And then from all around, a wide, immense, beautiful silence. And I see Satan. God's horrible enemy, thrown down, defeated. I see a sparkling city shimmering in the sky, glittering, glowing, all coming down from heaven and from the sky. Heaven is coming down to earth. God's city is beautiful, walls of topaz, Jasper, sapphire, wide streets paved with gold, gleaming pearl gates that are never locked shut. Where's the sun? Where's the moon? <laughs> they aren't needed anymore. God is all the light people need. No more darkness. No more night. And the king says, Look, God and his children are together again. No more running away or hiding. No more crying or being lonely or afraid. No more being sick or dying. Because all those things are gone. Yes, they're gone forever. Everything sad has come untrue. And see, I have wiped away every tear from every eye. And then a deep, beautiful voice that sounded like thunder in the sky says, Look, 
I am making everything new. It was hard to squeeze all John saw into words and fit it onto a page and cram it into a book. All the words on all the pages of all the books in all the world would never be enough. I am the beginning, Jesus said, and the ending. One day, John knew heaven would come down and mend God's broken world and make it our true, perfect home once again. And he knew in some mysterious way that would be hard to explain, that everything was going to be more wonderful for once having been so sad. And he knew then that the ending of the story was going to be so great, it would make all the sadness and tears and everything seem like just a shadow that is chased away by the morning sun. I'm on my way, said Jesus. I'll be there soon. John came to the end of his book, but he didn't write the end, because of course that's how stories finish, and this one's not over yet. So instead he wrote, Come quickly, Jesus which perhaps is really just another way of saying, to be continued. Well, good morning, everyone. Glad you could be with us on this Lord's Day here at Fellowship Bible Church. If you're watching online, good to uh, good to have, uh, have you with us there and down in F3 as well. Um, we uh, have talked a lot about transitions here and staffing transitions and changes. I got an epiphany as little Jackson was up here. Uh, I think he's going to be the next pulpit guy up here. So um, that's a kind of exciting for you down at F3. That's a little Jackson Clazar. Um, we, we, we've been doing you know, child dedications and things like that for 42 years here at Fellowship Bible Church. And... Um, it's exciting, you know, it's, it, 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 see these little ones and it's, you're full of joy and anticipation. And then at the same time, and I'm a grandpa thinking, what a world that they have to grow up in. And it can be a little disheartening uh, if you think about that as well. And yet, the Bible tells us um, there's a wonderful and glorious uh, ending to it all. And we find that in the book of Revelation I want to start this morning by having us look at Revelation chapter 21. Just a, a few verses here in Revelation um, 21. John writes, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death, there shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, because the first things, the first things have passed away. 
What a wonderful thought there in verse 1, describing the new heavens and new earth of what is going to come. And it says that this new heaven and new earth, which is so full of glory, no more pain and suffering and dying, and God is going to wipe away every tear. A wonderful, wonderful uh, coming glory that awaits the people of God. But it says that the first heaven and first earth has to pass away. The first heaven and first earth have passed away. In order for the glorious coming and, uh, that we've read here in this time of uh, uh, celestial joy to be upon this earth, the first things have to pass away. The first things, verse 4, says have to pass away. What are these first things? This first things world. Because John is making the point that until the first things world is gone, all this time of wonderful joy and peace won't be here. What are those first things world? Well, it's it's the now. It's the nasty now and now. It's, what, it's where we're living right now. It's life now, presently, in this world. And until this passes away, we're not going to get to that. Everything that defines this present earth, the, the, the work of Satan, the God of this world, sin, the, the devastation of sin, the, the sorrow, the sadness, the trials and tribulations of this world, it, that, that's the first things world. It's suffering, sorrow, pain. It's part of the life of this realm, this world. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a man who's worked for over 40 years, dedicated his life. He's worked hard and diligently for a good retirement and only to die in a car accident the week after his retirement party. It's, it's a... A person who has lived healthily all their life, gone to their doctors and, and followed everything that they should in terms of good health and, and an exercise regimen only to get some horrific disease. It's a woman who's prayed about her future husband, prayed and prayed and sought the Lord and found a man who seems to love Jesus and serve Jesus. He's a deacon in the church. He leads Bible studies only to find that he has been having a, a secret affair with his secretary for the last decade. It's a mom who has prayed and prayed for her kids, raised them in, to, to love Jesus only to experience in their adulthood they have no desire for God anymore. It's the first things world. It's, that's what happens down here. It's the fact that 108,000 lives were lost this past year to drug overdoses, a 15% increase from just over the year before. It's the fact that 16,000 children die every day in this world from hunger or, or hunger-related diseases. It's, it's, a, it's a world gone mad. Uh, violent crimes on the increase like we've never seen before. The craziness, the senselessness going on in D.C. seeming like Seemingly like we've never seen it before. That's the first things world. 
it's got to pass away before we get to what we just read in Revelation 21, where, where there'll be a world where there is no more crying and sorrow and, and tears and pain. Now here's the point. If our goal in this life, if our goal in this life is to live pain-free and suffering-free, um, we're, we're pursuing an impossible goal. It just isn't going to happen. In fact, we're on dangerous ground if that's our primary goal. Life's comfort, that we will live pain-free and suffering-free. If that's our primary goal, we're going to be sadly disappointed because suffering and sorrow and, and the yuckiness of life is just part and parcel of the, this world, the, the, the first things world. And until we get rid of the first things world, we're always going to live in that. Now, I mean, there's nothing wrong with desiring you know, financial security and, and good health and, and wholeness and happy marriages and raising godly kids. And there's nothing wrong with that, obviously. I've been dealing with a stupid pinched nerve in my neck the last six weeks. I'd love to get rid of that. John Morrison, he's, he's there planning on moving now to Texas for the last six months. Poor John has been dealing with complications in his left eye related to macular degeneration. It's no fun. You know of a sister here in the congregation who's dealing with stage four breast cancer. A brother who is dealing with the onset of Alzheimer's. Um, this is a broken world. It's the first things world. It's, it's just, just part and parcel of living this side of what we just read in Revelation 21. And when we, when we make as our primary goal to be free of those things, we're going to be sadly disappointed. And it's very possible that we could fall into a ditch one of two different ditches. One ditch is to um, raise our desire to pursue God. Now, let's hear me out. To pursue God in such a way that we view Him as a vending machine so that if we push the right buttons and, and do the right religious things, He's going to remove all those things from our life. That's what we're expecting. We see God as a, this giant vending machine. That uh, a mentality that says if we redouble our religious fervor, our religious piety, that will equal suffering-free living, health, wealth, prosperity. It's not going to happen. We're living in the first things world. That's part of living in the first things world is sorrow and sadness and suffering. Let's just do a little more Bible study. Let's do... Uh, a little more prayer time. Let's, uh, let's help a few more little ladies across the street. Let me stop kicking the dog when I come home at night. I mean, God will certainly then rearrange my life and things will go well. Kind of like the prophets of Baal in Elijah's time. If I just holler a little more and pray a little more and do a little more religious piety, he'll hear me. That's a ditch that we can easily fall into. The other ditch is well, we get to a point of despair. We realize it's like he's not listening. 
the vending machine isn't putting out the things I wanted, therefore I'll conclude that God is a mean, vindictive, vengeful, he's not omnipotent, he's not caring, he's not loving. Because if he were, then things would go better for me. And we call into question God's character. Kind of like what Satan was doing before God related to Job, the story of Job. Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a, a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, his possessions have increased in the land, but put forth your hand. Touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. You know, th things are just going well for Job, but take it all away, and he'll do what everybody else is going to do, is go to curse God, like his wife said, curse God and die. But again, here's the problem. We're, we're living in the first things world. We're living in the nasty now and now. We're living this side of glory where there's tears and there's mourning and there's sorrow and there's sadness. It, it, there's, I think the whole terms can be summarized by one term. It's just death. They're inevitable. And we can no longer avoid it in this world than a fish can avoid getting wet swimming in the ocean. It comes with a territory because we're living in the first things world. And until it passes away, John says in his revelation, until that new heaven and new earth comes, uh, that's what we're going to have to deal with. So if pursuing a suffering-free pain-free existence in this first things world isn't a proper goal, what is? What is? Well, we look again at Revelation 21 and specifically verse 3 and John says, behold, look, the tabernacle of God is among us in that, that glory time that's coming in the sweet by and by. Look, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Now, three times that word among is emphasized. He is among them. He is among them. Behold, God is among them. What's the defining thing about the new heaven and new earth? It's God's presence. It's God. The focal point of all of the sweet by and by, it's his presence. It's the God who dwells among men. The greatest thing about the new heaven and the new earth that is coming is that God dwells among us. He's the great focal point of the new heaven and the new earth. And the glory of that sweet by and by is this closeness with God because he is among us. It's the all-consuming passion. That's what makes the, the new heaven and new earth so glorious. That's what makes the sweet by and by so sweet. It's the presence of God among us. Now, if that's true in the sweet by and by, can it be true for God's people in the nasty now and now? 
Well, Paul thought so when he said in Philippians chapter 3, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of, of Christ, more than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count it but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Paul's all-consuming passion was to know Christ. Paul is suggesting that even in the first things world, on this side of, of the sweet by and by that's to come, while we're still in the the muck and mire of this present nasty now and now, we can still have this relationship with the living God. That he is among us here. He is even within us as a people of God. Paul's goal in life was not to experience a suffering-free life. He did not put all of his energies into trying to get rid of the pain and the suffering and the sadness uh, uh, to pursue happiness at, at all costs. His bottom line motivation in life was to pursue God at all costs. Because I think he believed what David wrote in Psalm 16. In his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. In fact, as we look at the New Testament, we realize something amazing, how God works. He will even take the, the sufferings of this present time, the things that make up this first things world, and he will actually use them in our life to draw us into a deeper relationship with him, which is where real joy and real peace and real hope is found. If that's true for the new heavens and new earth that's coming, God is among us, why can't it be true for us now that God is with us, he is in us? And God takes our sufferings and our sorrows and all that pain of the first things world of the nasty now and now, and he, he somehow weaves it to draw us closer to himself. The very thing that we would love to get rid of are, are the very things that he uses to draw us to a place of true joy even in the nasty now and now. Peter talks about that. Peter, the apostle, is writing in his first epistle to people, to believers who have been suffering and have been scattered around the Roman Empire because of their faith in Jesus Christ. It's not going well for the believers in that time. There is a lot of persecution, there's a lot of tragedy going on. Uh, turn with me just real quickly to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, or chapter 1, starting in verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through or because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope that, it says, verse 4, we can obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you. You 
verse 5, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this, you greatly rejoice. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed, you're grieving over various trials, so that the proof of your faith, the testing of your faith, be more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory and obtaining as the outcome of your faith that, that salvation, that glorious salvation of your souls. Peter draws their attention to the sweet by and by, um, to this wonderful hope that is there, to the fact that God has shown us mercy, he says there in verse 3. He's caused us to be born again. We have a, a living hope. It's real. There's something awaiting us, that sweet by and by. It's based on this wonderful truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because he lives, we're going to experience that, that glorious life, that resurrection life one day. That sweet by and by where we have an imperishable and undefiled inheritance, he said. And it's there. It's reserved in heaven, verse 4. In fact, it's protected by the power of God. It's waiting for us in the sweet by and by. But, yeah, we're in the nasty now and now. We're in the first things world. We're in this world where there is pain, suffering, persecution, sorrow, sadness, tears that flow. It's distressing, he says in verse 6. We grieve in the first things world. There is pain in the suffering. But he says there is purpose in the suffering. And so verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice. This future anticipation of what's to come, we greatly rejoice. And he commends these believers that he's writing to. You greatly rejoice in this, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you are distressed. You're, you're grieving through living in the nasty now and now. It's, it's, it's what this now and now is all about. I understand that, says Peter. I've been there. I understand what you're going through. But we can greatly rejoice. And he says in verse 7, we can because... You see, your faith is being tested. It's being refined. It's being tested and refined, and, and, and the proof of that, one day, he says, it's going to be found to result in, in praise and, and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Oh, there's going to be a wonderful, glorious time in that sweet by and by when we stand before the King of Kings. And as we have persevered in the midst of the first things world, as we haven't made um, freedom from pain and suffering and, and sadness as our primary focus in this life, as, as we put our primary focus on God, it will be found to result in praise and glory and honor. You'll be, you'll be blessed to hear the words from the Savior, well done, good and faithful servant. You put life in perspective. And you allow that, that shaping of your faith to take place in the first things world. Well done, good and faithful servant. 
pressure, adversity, suffering will result in that praise, glory, and honor one day. But Peter adds this other thought there in verse 8 and 9. He praises these suffering saints, and he says in verse 8, and although you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Man, did they get it or what? Did they capture this whole idea that I don't have to wait for God to be among us. That, that's what sum, sums up the, the glory of the sweet by and by, but I'm living in the nasty now and now with all the pain and sorrow that comes with it, but the right perspective these people had pushed them into the, into the heart of God all the more deeply. And he says, even though you don't see him, boy, do you love him. You believe in him. You, 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 you're experiencing joy inexpressible and full of glory even in the first things world. Even in all the muck and mire of this stinking life, you've got it. Joy inexpressible and full of glory because you see, love for the Lord and trust in the Lord, it always leads to the joy of the Lord in the this thing's world. Enduring through suffering and the nasty now and now, it's not a matter of, of true grit. You know, it's not a matter of, of, of keeping a stiff upper lip, of hanging tough, of taking the next step, you know, trying our best. No, it's a matter of loving Jesus. It's a matter of understanding He is among us. He's in us. And the very thing that makes glory glory is the very thing that makes the nasty now and now so wonderful. He's with us. He's in us. And that's the only thing that's going to keep our heads above the rising tides of trials and sorrows and sadness. It's what these little kids up here need to know. That they're going to be raised in a, in a very sickening, sin-filled world. But there's joy inexpressible and full of, full of glory awaiting as they love Jesus. Peter is simply saying that our future hope is certain, our present trials have purpose, and it's Jesus who brings us joy. And so suffering, as it drives us deepest, deeper into the arms of God, is, can I say it, a blessing? Because that's where we find in His arms and in His presence joy inexpressible and full of glory. I like how Larry Crabb in his book Shattered Dreams puts it, he wrote, we will not encounter Christ as our best friend, as a source of all true goodness, as the one who provides the sweetest pleasures to our souls until we abandon ourselves to him. And full abandonment, he says, real trust rarely happens until we meet God in the midst 
of our shattered dreams. Until our brokenness, in our brokenness, we see him, the only and overflowingly sufficient answer to our soul's deepest cry. What's the greatest joy in the sweet by and by? It's God. It's, it's his presence. What's our greatest joy in the nasty now and now? It's our relationship with him. It's his presence among us, with us. And folks, we can endure anything in this world. We can endure anything in this world if that's our focal point. And for these people that Peter is writing to, they got it. And though you do not see him, you love him. You trust him. You believe in him. And you are experiencing joy inexpressible and full of glory. And one day, one day the nasty now and now is going to be over. And one day the sweet by and by will be a reality. And then as the old hymn says, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face and all sorrows will erase. So gladly run the race till we see Christ. It'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. And folks, as believers in Jesus Christ, what Peter, what Paul, what, what the scriptures is trying to call us to is even in the nasty now and now, we can experience that presence of God. A new heaven and new earth are coming. There will be no longer any death, mourning, crying, or pain, and God will pull out, as it were, his white handkerchief, and he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. And the nasty now and now will be over. But folks, if you know Jesus, right now, right now in this stinking world, with all the muck and sorrow that is going on with it, do you feel it? wiping of your eyes are you experiencing joy inexpressible and full of glory it can be true because he is among us he's here if you know him he's in you and both now and the nasty now and now and the sweet by and by we can say, we love you. We love you, Jesus. You are worthy. You are so glorious. You are so kind. You are worthy of our affections. Would you bow your head in prayer? Father, our hope, our desire is I pray would ultimately be with you in you all about you and though this morning we may not see you oh that we can grow in our love for you experience the reality of who you are 
It's not about the, our attempts to provide the happiness in our life. It's all about growing more deeply in love with you. We're never going to get rid in the, this first things world, Father, the things that go along with it. For the God of this world still has been given a, a measure of sovereignty by your sovereign hand to reign. The God of this world is still going to mess up everything in this world, our sin, our our propensity to live self-focused lives. But, oh, that we can get a glimpse of your dear face. And in that moment, all sorrows will erase so that we can gladly run the race as we see you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you're able to stand with us, let's respond with these words. I'm going to sing the question, and if you'll sing the response. Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? Stop the light from getting through. Really do. do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? Is a new creation coming? Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It
Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah conquered the So we come to a close of our five and a half months focus of, uh, on Jesus through help of the Jesus Storybook Bible. I hope you've uh, in, been encouraged by that and have enjoyed that uh, because it is all about Jesus. But before we wrap up this series, let me just one more time say, do you have uh, that personal relationship with this Jesus who is worthy? Do you know him personally? Have you come to that point in your spiritual journey that you realize that your good works and all the efforts that you make to try to get God's attention to maybe be placed on the scales of time that those good works will outweigh your, outweigh your bad works and God will one day say, wow, I want someone like you in my heaven because boy, are you good. Have you come to that place where you realize that's just not how it works. We could never be good enough to get to heaven. Only Jesus is worthy. And the good news is that Jesus came into this world. He understood that he loves us. And he took our sin upon himself and he died in our place. He took what was separating us from all of eternity, our sin, and he paid the price for that sin. That's why he came. He went to that cross and he died in our place and then he rose from the dead and he's alive and he offers a personal relationship with us. He offers the free gift of eternal life because he just loves us so. God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him 
not gets religious, not gives so much money to the poor, not tries to obey the Ten Commandments, not tries to live a squeaky clean life. It's simply by faith, whoever believes in him. Do you believe this morning that Christ paid for your sins and rose again? And when you put your trust in Christ and say, nope, it's not about me, it's all about you, and I believe that. I trust you. In that moment of faith, the Bible says he gives us as a free gift to eternal life. Our sins are forgiven, and folks, we have this wonderful, sweet by and by that is awaiting us. And while we wait for that, you get the wonderful gift of his presence within you. Do you know him? On the back, uh, on the little, uh, where we pick up our bulletins and our, our information, there's this little, little track brochure called This Is Good News. If you're not sure where you're gonna spend eternity, I'd love to have you pick one up as you leave or talk with me. I've got a couple of these up here. Don't let this day go by without you settling the issue where you're gonna spend eternity. And not only where you're going to spend eternity, but how you're going to experience the nasty now and now. Because I'm telling you, apart from Jesus, there is no joy inexpressible and full of glory. It's only in a relationship with him. But I'm assuming most of us here, well, this is church, right? I'm assuming most of us here have already put our faith in Christ. Let me ask you, are you enjoying the trip? Are you experiencing the joy that Jesus said I came to give you? The hope, the peace, the comfort in the midst of the nasty now and now, in the midst of the distressing, grieving, troubling days in which we live, that weighs us down, that breaks our hearts sometimes, in the midst of all of that sorrow, is there the the deep abiding presence of his joy in your life. If it's not, why not? I mean, that's, we're his children. What's blocking that from happening? It's very possible it's a little bit too much love for this world and not enough love for Jesus. We want to help you grow in your faith. We want you to, to, to sense that that deep abiding presence of, of God and, and even when sorrows like sea billows roll you can say my, my, my what joy he gives me boy do I love him it can happen to us as believers in Jesus Christ is it happening in your life Father may um, may you challenge our hearts stir our spirit to greater joy greater, deeper affections for you. Our sovereign king, our lord of lords, our master, our savior, our friend, the only source of joy. May we love you more because Lord, in the <laughs> traveling this, this story of our life here, we need you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For anyone who says yes to Jesus, for anyone who believes what Jesus said, for anyone who will just reach out to take it, then God will give them this wonderful gift.
to be born into a whole new life, to be who they really are, who God always made them to be, their own true selves, God's dear child. Because you see, the most wonderful thing about this story is it's your story too. So let's go to prayer, please. Lord, from beginning to end, you've woven a magnificent story, a story of a perfect creation, warped by sin and suffering and separation, a creation that you could have cast away, yet you chose to save. Your story of a marvelous, miraculous redemption awes and humbles us as we recognize that while we were completely undeserving, you sent your son into this world to reveal the truth of your love for us, a new testament of mercy and grace. May we remember that through him, you have taught us in the stories of the New Testament, from the humble silence of his arrival to your powerful silencing of the storm, from the care of little children to the ease of talking with you, Father. From Jesus' prayer in the garden to the inexpressible love that held him at the cross. Each parable, miracle, and action, all to help each of us be your children. You formed us, each of us, perfectly in our mother's wombs. You brought us from darkness into your marvelous light, and we will celebrate communion with you for eternity as we finish learning the stories of the New Testament. May we have the wisdom and grace to recognize your authorship of our lives. May we have the courage and strength to share the story of your work in our lives, and may your glory shine to others as we communicate our story so we can share your story. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.